and we are once again recording. Hey, here we are. You are listening to Thoughtless Casual Gaming with Brett and Jace. I am Brett. I am not. Excellent. We're a Geelong-based um, hobby podcast where we play some games badly and then talk about them. And this is episode nine. How are you, Jace? Not bad. Did you have to look at the number again? Because I still have no idea what well, episode you, up to. You put them online and you don't number them when you put them online. So I actually had to count. <laughs> so you're making me work for it. All right. Good. As long as, as long as someone here is working. Um, <laughs> uh, it takes me away from doing actual work, which is good. Which is really the most important thing. Exactly. Um, that is what hobby is for. Yes. <laughs> so speaking of hobby, have you been doing much since we talked last? Much is, look, that's not the word I would put to it necessarily. Um, I've done some things though. All right. So what have we done? So uh, I'm trying to remember what I was doing last time we spoke as well. Um, I finished painting the um, Warcry, the, the Llama Cat, mm-hmm. um, the Mind Stealer, not Sphinx. Um, so he got finished. I think that was since last time we spoke. Or had already finished him. I don't know. He's done. He's and done. He looks amazing. Until somebody posted one up that they did like yesterday on no, the Facebook no, group that I'm in, no, and I looked no, at it and went, no. oh, "Oh, that was clever. Why didn't I think of that?" And don't do it. No, don't. Sorry. No. It's... Look, he's still he's still currently done. Um, I haven't I haven't picked him up again. Although it, it, the thing that the thing that got me right is, um, his base is too big to pit, fit on a painting handle, mm-hmm. um, or anything. So I had to kind of jerry rig. Um, and I've kind of discovered that the best thing you can do if you need to jerry-rig um, a bit of a painting handle is double-sided tape. Okay. So, the like the mounting tape, it's kind of a little bit squidgy. Um, so, what I did in my infinite wisdom is um, I got a base that did fit on the handle and I put double-sided tape on that and then I stuck that to the inside of the little sort of concave bit on his base. Okay. And then I had him, I had him to to manoeuvre at will, um, which was great. And then I finished it, and I wanted to use the painting handle for the next model I was painting, um, but I can't get the base from underneath his base to unstick now. So, it works so really well. Um, so it's stuck to the base of the painting handle. No, or so he's off the handle. So, so what what I've finally got, yeah, and he's got, and because the the tape is a little bit thick and squidgy and stuff, one of them protrudes slightly from the other one. So he currently isn't sitting real flush on the ground. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the bases is, and the other one is hovering like a couple of mil above that. Um, so at some stage, I need to do that. But I I gave it a red hot go last night, and I didn't like the noises it was making, so I stopped. <laughs> Um, so I have to work out how to remove him, but pro tip, if you have anything and it doesn't, you don't actually need a painting handle for this. You could use the lid of a spray can or, you know, a jar or whatever. Um, but that double sided tape works so much better than blue tack. Um, cause you know how sometimes if you've ever blue tacked a model to something to hold it while you're painting it kind of, yeah, a, a you get 
blue tack on your model um, and generally forget to paint the bit that's under the blue tack. Um, and B, it kind of moves around a little bit and doesn't give you the most secure thing. Oh, this is rock fucking solid. Um, I'm going to show my age here, but I used to use blue tack on those little black canisters that you used to get camera film in. You know, back when cameras had I, film. I, I remember these. You're not alone. <laughs> and you used to go to the chemist or Kmart and you'd chuck them in and you didn't know what photos you'd taken until you picked them up. And then you went, oh, the guy at the chemist has now seen all those th- parts of me. Um, <laughs> I left the lens cap on for 90% of these. <laughs> <laughs> those were the days. Yeah. So Lama is done. He's done. Um, I just need to debase his base and actually base him. But I'm going to have a bit of a basing day at some stage and just do them all. Um, Seems to be a common uh, theme for you. Yeah. I joked that you spend no. 40 hours on a base, but you spend like 70 hours on the model and then don't do the base. I'm going to get there. They'll get done. It's <laughs> fine. Um, I've got time. I needed to get some other stuff done. So on that, I started trying to get some of the other shit done. So I assembled the Infinity, um, what is he, a mobile Brigada? Mm-hmm. Brigada? Brigada. He's assembled. He, they're really nice models. The the Corvus Belly ones, um, so the Infinity models are super clean sculpts. Um, they're crisp. There's not a lot of flash or mold lines or anything, but they're still fucking metal. And they still have tiny little contact points. Um, so, fun to assemble. Um, and also, I'm too lazy to pin them, especially when they're not big and chunky and likely to fall off under their own weight. So, I've thought about point. pinning many, 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 many times. Uh, I have done it zero times. I just, I, 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 I have, I think I have the equipment to do it. I'm just not 100% sure, and, and the times that I've actually got the stuff out to, to try, I haven't been confident, so I haven't bothered. And I have, have done before. Um, when you say the, the equipment, I haven't invested in one of those the pin vice, is what they, the little hand mm-hmm. drill situations. Um, I use a power drill um, and just a, a tiny little drill bit in that sucker. Um, but disappointingly my power drill died and I went to Bunnings and I bought a new power drill and it was even better than the last one, but it turns out it doesn't quite clamp down on a one mil drill bit. Yep. So my pinning days are currently over unless I want to try putting it in the Dremel and I don't want to do that. Um, so that's the other reason I'm not pinning much at the moment is because my drill won't hold a pin at, at one mil drill bit. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, but we assembled him without pinning. Um, good glue in and hope are my adhesives of choice. Um, and he is currently undercoated. Yes, I primed him and I'm trying to work out what the fuck I'm doing. Um, then I hit the flaming wheel um, Wanyando from... Malifaux, so he's basically a head in the middle of a big wheel and the whole thing's on fire. Um, done a bunch on him. He, I should say he's finished. I, I think I did say he's finished, and now I'm looking at him going, oh, I don't know, I'm not real happy with him. He looks finished. Um, he looks finished to me. He looks so good. Like the face on that has, is expressionate for. The face, the face on... Um, is that a word? It is now. Um, 
Oh, the face I'm actually good with. It's the rest of it. It's the wheel and the flames that I'm not real happy with. And I think maybe that I should give them the, the fluoro orange treatment that I gave the corn blood bowl team is the idea currently running through my head. Um, yeah, painting fire. It's a pain in the dick. Um, and I didn't really think about it as I was doing it and just put paint on there. Also, the thing that got me with this guy was it is the first time this has ever happened, but the primer started lifting off the model. So I primed him in the usual way um, using the usual primer that I always use. And I always use the, the Vallejo airbrush primer. Always, most of the time use that. Um, the only difference is I bought some flow improver and I keep hearing how this is better than thinner. So I'm like, fuck it, let's give this a go. So I used that to thin my primer um, for the first time and only time ever. And then the second I applied brush to model after the primer had dried, and yes, I left it for well plenty long and it was dried properly, fuck off. Um, the paint just came off. Like the primer came off. I was painting bare plastic suddenly. Um, and I swore a lot. And that's about the time I stopped giving any shits. Um, so... <laughs> there's been a number of frustrations with this model um that being the primary one and then because it started lifting off the couple of airbrush layers i did because i tried airbrushing inks and i'm like this is amazing they go on really well you don't need to thin them they look really smooth um but then they started brushing off when i started painting things um and i got angry and i just started painting over it again not priming it again, just painting over the bits that had come off. Um, so, yeah, he, he, look, not my favourite, and I'm looking at him now going, I just think I need to touch up a few bits and shits, but we'll, we might put him on the back burner and come back to him if I have time at the end of the month. It sounds um, like a plan. Sounds very sensible. Are you sure this is what you want to do? No, it's not at all what I want to do because I'm looking at him and he's annoying the shit out of me because I'm not happy with it, but... I'm trying. We'll, we'll, we'll see how far I get. It basically comes down to how quickly I can come up with a paint scheme for the next thing. Um, <laughs> because if there is idle time between those, there is a good chance I will get sidetracked. Um, apart from that, so that's, that's most of the hobby. Oh, I printed off some bases for Infinity stuff. That was exciting. Now it's I'm looking 3D at going, printed? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so I found a bunch of files for that and printed off some of those because I wanted vaguely interesting bases, but I probably should sand them and I can't be fucked. Um, now I'm wondering whether I can get away with the printer lines as texture, um, but that's probably being particularly lazy. And in slightly unrelated, you know, not quite as much hobby news, uh, two things happened. One, I started watching The Boys Season 2. So I'm a few episodes into that. Okay, no spoilers. I haven't started yet. There is no spoilers. Um, yes, watch it. Yes. Um, and my favourite thing so far, which I'm not sure is really... Uh, no, nah, it's definitely not a spoiler. I'm just making sure. Yeah, <laughs> we're good. But The Deep and Peyote, that's all I'm saying. Okay. It's the best thing ever. Um and I actually managed a sneaky game that we're not going to talk about today um, of Warhammer Fantasy Battles 8th Edition. Oh, okay. This is news to me. 
yeah, I snuck into Throw the Dice a week or two ago, um, one night when they were having a few and they had a spare table and just throw some dice with Rich. Um, so little, um, as part of the Slow Grow League, they got some 750 point games going. They're sort of starting them and building up points wise just to get people in the, the headspace and get across the rules and all that kind of stuff, get some stuff painted. So threw a list together, went in, rolled some dice, looked up way too many rules that I used to know. Um, it was amazing. Like I'm literally sitting here going, I know this. I know all of these questions that we're having, but I cannot tell you the answer to any of them. So let's look through a rule book that I haven't looked at in however many years. Um, so much fun though. Everything <laughs> you wanted it to be. Oh, it just, I've missed it so much. Um, and look, even at 750 points, which is two tenths of fuck all, um, so tiny little games, um, custom scenarios, like, and people are just trying shit out and having fun. And as I said, there's a lot of remembering rules and going, oh, that's, that's why what I've just done is a really bad idea. But oh, I cannot wait. And it, it feels like an army game and I've missed that whole rank and flank thing. Um, so, look, there's probably a lot of nostalgia in it as well because um, that was kind of, you know, I was playing 7th and 8th at Warhammer was probably the biggest uh, or the, you know, the deepest I, I dove into the any of the G-Dub games at all. Um, and then Age of Sigma happened and it just kind of died. They just pulled the rug out from under. And it's so that was pretty exciting. Just as I said, getting getting back to getting back to my roots. Um so yeah, that that's pretty much been my you know, however long it's been since we last spoke. Yeah, that's not not a bad effort. Okay. It kept us going for a little bit. Shall we delve into my hobby related talk then? Regale me. Okay. My hobby um, is probably about three quarters of sweet fuck all this week. Um, I haven't done much. I have been in a bit of a hobby slump, I must say. So uh, even like just in general geeky news, I haven't been up to an awful lot. Um, between my wife and I, we're working – this is COVID. And, you know, we're working – seven days a week between us there is very little time that i'm not at work or don't aren't looking after the kids while she's at work so getting time to myself has been kind of trying to catch up on sleep um but i have i have bought something which i'm excited about so i bought the dc deck building game um, which is the, their equivalent of legendary. So there's there's a couple of legendary games. Marvel's the biggest one. There's there's an Alien one, a Predator one, Firefly, Buffy, all those sort of things. But the the DC version is um, very eloquently called the DC deck building game. Um, but I got the box, which is uh, for Dark Knight's Metal. Now I'm a huge Joker fan, as you know, Jace. But I'm I'm really keen on what they introduced in Dark Knight's Metal, which was the Batman Who Laughs, who is a Bruce Wayne from an alternate universe who gets infected with the Joker serum and is just insane but 
incredibly intelligent at the same time. So, and he looks cool. He's got like this spike, spiked visor thing that God knows how he sees through. Yeah. Um, so I'm excited about that. It's, I think it's two to five people. It's, it, they say it's a deck building game, but it's pretty much you, you get your standard, you know, seven punches, three nothings in your deck to start off with. And then as you play the rounds, the more damage you're doing with the five cards that you pick up, the more better cards you can buy to put in your deck. And then there's cards you can use to take out bad cards out of your deck and things like that. And it's a matter of trying to build up enough energy to um, beat these evil bosses and finally get to um, Batman who laughs the God that he's technically working for. So it's an interesting idea. I've watched a couple of YouTube vids on people playing it, uh, eager to give it a go myself, but um, I have seen one person try and play it solo and that seemed to work okay. So I might give that a go in the next couple of days, hopefully. Uh, Look, failing that, yeah. we're, two to five, we're two to five players. We are two to five players, but I know how much you are uh, a card deck building, deck type game um, fanatic, let's say. It seems to be your jam, doesn't it? Look, it's it's not something that I have a, uh, a large amount of exposure to, <laughs> I will, <laughs> will admit. Um I mean, you know, I have I have a, a long history of collectible card games, so so the idea appeals to me. But it's also, you know, I bought a box; it cost me very little, and that's the game. I don't need to buy anything else to play it. I bought some sleeves to put the cards in, and that's it. So, and, and look, let's let's be clear: I'm treating this very much as if I would treat a board game. Cool. Just rock up, play game, see what happens. Give move on with my life. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, that's something that I am keen to give a go. So we might look at that in the future. Apart from that, um, Xbox, I have had uh, Telltale Season 3 of The Walking Dead on my Xbox for, I want to say, months, but it's probably longer than that, and never actually turned it on. And so I finally did that, and played all the way through that because I really, really do enjoy the Telltale games. They're very um, story-driven. There's not an awful lot of action sequences or anything like that. The story moves along from your decisions that you make about how you're talking to people or what you're saying, that sort of thing. So uh, season three, like I said, I played the first two seasons. This one, I just, yeah, was needing something more to do and hobby was not grabbing me at the time so i put this in played all the way through it and finished that off last night so i'm quite happy about that in typical telltale walking dead style i think i was aiming there were about four people plus my character that i was really trying to look after throughout the whole game and i made it to the end of the game with one of those still alive so that's twenty five percent. That's a good value, isn't it? That is. Look, that yeah, that's like fifty fifty, <laughs> almost. Uh, so that was good fun. Hobby wise, I have put together the Savage Orcs from the uh, latest Underworlds uh, expansion. 
Mm-hmm. So there were three pieces. Believe it or not, for the three orcs, there were a lot more pieces than I was expecting. So, you know, one guy, one guy's got a, a skull around, over his head, and that skull comes in two pieces. So you're sticking either side of the skull to the head, which you then stick to the body, but not overly complicated. I was about to say, are these ones like some of the other sort of, you know, single pose, easy to assemble models where the the separate areas are like really weird. Like it's the front of his right leg and his kind of left hip and over the back of the right shoulder and his left ear. And then that somehow smushes into the other half of all those pieces. Somewhat. I mean, it's not, they're not the worst for that that I've, I've done. And let's, you know, I have done almost all the crews, but um, yeah, they're, they're not Malifaux models. It didn't take me that long. What is, you know, every time I see a, a, someone complain about a, a GW wagon. figure. Yeah. <laughs> that's not Ling Pumpwagon. That's the worst model GW have ever done. I'm like, it took me five minutes. Yo, <laughs> it's not that hard. It might not be hard. It might be difficult for people that are, are so used to the, the snap fit models these days, but. You know, it's you just need to hold it together in the right spot, and it glues fine. Have you put yours together? Incidentally, no, no, no. They're still in the box. Yeah, fair. I am waiting. I'm, I'm doing that thing where I can't do it until I have everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember if I have trolls coming or not. Maybe I have trolls coming. There was a lot of talk about trolls, whether you've ordered them or not. I'm not a hundred percent sure, but there was a lot of talk like- about them. And I feel like because there was a lot of talk about them, I'm not sure whether I have or haven't. Um, so they will be shredding as trolls for the next however long um, Fair until enough. I work out whether they're arriving. Uh, anyway, last bit of hobby that I have done is, like I said, I mean, it's been a bit of a slump, but I have done some work on my Claw Lord piece for a little uh, uh, painting session thing that we've got going. Um he has one, two, three, four, five colors on him. Six colors if you include the base. Seven if you include the undercoat color. So, you know, he's tabletop ready. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, thanks to like the, you know, I'm doing an early shout out here, but thanks to the Hobby Homemakers guys uh, for a little uh, session where we got some paint down and actually got me motivated a little bit, which was good. I do have to go back. Um, I think the next real big step is I want to do sort of a, a brown wash over most of what I've done, but I am working on the skin and I'm not 100% sure how I'm doing the skin yet. So I need to get that done before I can do the wash over the top. Uh, I thought maybe rat skin flesh. There's a, yeah, rat skin flesh. It's a GW color. It's like they made it for it. Well, it sounds like it, but I'm not 100% sure now that I've got it on the model. So, and if you go to the Citadel app and type in Skaven, the flesh that they've done on their Skaven, I don't think they use rat skin flesh for. So... I'm done conf- it wrong. Well, I'm confused, but I've, I'm going to do a couple of colors over the top and, and see how can that you, fixes it. Can you log bugs in the, uh, the Citadel app? <laughs> I feel like 
this name is wrong. Yeah. Anyway. But yeah, so it started on him really and he's he's been a bit disconcerting to me because he's very uh detail like there's a lot of stuff going on in this model and I'm concerned I'm going to either miss things or do them wrong or just the sheer volume of different things that I might have to do on this model is a little bit daunting. So it's good to have made a start. Uh, It's good to have had that little bit of of helping hand, especially from yourself, Jase, the other night. But um, we'll get there. We'll get there. Got a couple of weeks left. Yeah, he's done. It's not even a problem. I will shout out that that Hobby Homies um, hobby session they did. They basically ran one on Discord. Um, and that was legitimately after we had a conversation about a little bit of a slump. Mm. And so I feel like we kind of bullied them into just doing it like that day. I got in the morning and I'm like... I mean, I mentioned it to you that I'd been having a slump. And then the next morning you're talking about hobby sessions with them. I'd like, I'm sure my name wasn't mentioned. I'm sure it was, just, all, it was all your idea. Yeah. It sounds like me. Um, <laughs> I'm just like, you know what, this would be really good. And they've already got a Discord set up and that facilitates this entire thing. This needs to happen. Um, so I got way too excited and just told them they had to make it happen. And in true Hobby Homie style, they did that night. Um, and it worked really was, well. Yeah, absolute winner. I got paint on a model, so it's a tick in my book. Success. So anyway, yeah, you know, the whole purpose of this podcast is to play games and talk about them so we played another game look at this games getting played this is it's the way it should be i have mean we're we're still recording in in our own home so i i know you don't but i did listen back to the previous episode and the, the sound quality on my hand was a little bit off uh so i do apologize i apologize if it's like that again um yeah, but uh, we're doing what we can. You know, one day we'll we'll sit together and and actually record properly. But I mean, um, staring yeah. into each other's eyes. Yeah, walking along the beach. I don't know. I feel like that would give us way too much sort of background noise in the rain. <laughs> Again, <laughs> we're not we're not reducing the amount of ambient noise here uh, on New Year's Eve. Anyway. Um... <laughs> We played a game uh, called Warhammer Underworlds. Now, this is a specialist GW game. Specialist meaning that it comes in a box. It's not. It's not forty k. It's not forty k. It's not Age of Sigma, but it is based in the Age of Sigma realms. Uh, so far, there have been three what they call seasons of this. So the first one was called Shadespire, uh, and for a long time. I think everybody just kept calling it Shadespire and not Underworlds. I still call it Shadespire. Yeah, it's, it's, the habit's really hard to get out of. But after Shadespire was Night Vault and after that was Beastgrave. And each of those seasons has about eight different crews that you can buy. And this game is a part miniature, part deck building game. So each box that you get will come with a crew it'll come with you know anywhere from three to nine models depending on the crew that you've chosen those models are the only models that you need 
Okay, so having those those models straight away means that for me it's a little bit like Blood Bowl two in that that's all I need to paint up to make it onto the table properly, which is a good thing. Uh, in typical GW fashion, you know, of the crews that have been released so far, four of them are Stormcast. Is it four or is it more? <laughs> Yeah, it seems to be an overproportionate. Yeah. yeah, whereas only one of them Skaven. So, yeah, give me more rats, come on. Uh, but yeah, basically, you're playing on two boards, so you get to choose one. Your opponent gets to choose one. Um, you've got two decks. One of which is an objective deck, and one is a power deck. And these decks are made of of um, you know, specific cards. So they can be faction specific, so cards that only your crew can use, or they can be universal cards. And these cards will come in the box of miniatures. Now, your box of miniatures that you buy will have your crew and it'll have 40 odd cards, or is it 60? Can't remember. But those cards will be a mixture of faction specific and universal. So the more crews you get, the more universal cards you're getting and the more options you have to make your decks. Your objective deck is made up of 12 cards and that's your typical, you know, when you do something, you get what they call glory and glory is the points by which you win, lose or draw this game. And your power deck is your upgrades and your ploys. Upgrades are... You know, anything that you can stick onto your character, giving them abilities or weapons, and ploys are your sort of easy-to-do actions that, that sort of go off as a once-off. Uh, and that deck, you're looking at minimum 20 cards, and a minimum of 50% of those have to be upgrades. So this is probably the, the key difference between Underworlds and every other game that GW produce, is this part miniature, part deck building concept um and that's you know it, it, i will reiterate um sort of your point earlier to the the model count a it's super low mm-hmm. like nine models max happy days um really individual models so it's not like you get you know five of the same guy and three of another kind of deal every every single model is a separate character with a separate sculpt and um you know, a bit of a personality about it. But there are, like, if you want to paint a project, they are the ultimate project because there is a definitive end date. You can't add more models onto this. It's not like a 40K army where even if you write a list and you paint that army, you could add more shit if you wanted to. It's not an option. So they're really good for those kind of small, discrete hobby projects because there is no extras. Um even for Blood Bowl, I find, you know, by the time you do a coach and some tokens and maybe a cheerleader and some special characters, or you, know, you, you can kind of blow that out of the water. Yeah. I mean, I'll be perfectly honest. I have invested into Underworlds fairly considerably, as I think I've talked about on this podcast before. So I have um, all but one of the crews, and the only crew I don't have is a, a believe it or not, one of those four storm casts, which I have no interest in. Um, and I find it's, temp- it's tempting though, isn't it? No, believe it or not, that one's not. <laughs> I, 
I don't feel that completionist urge, which is really unlike me. You know, the fact that I've, I'm missing one more band from all of them and I have no interest in getting it. So that kind of gives me a warm feeling inside because that's not what I'm used to. It's personal growth. I like that's it. it. Yeah. It, might, it happens once, doesn't it? But those, those Underworlds crews, when I, when I get stuck for something to paint, that's usually what I go for. It's, you know, I'll go, okay, well, I've got these Underworlds crews. This one, this crew is four wood elves. Um, and that's what I'll paint. And I'll paint those four wood elves and it won't take me too long. You know, it would, you know, it takes me longer than other people would potentially take. And, you know, the end result is probably not as good as they would. But the it's a simple little project and one that I can get done and can get finished um, for... I think Guff ran a, a little, uh, like, stuck-at-home painting competition, um, which I don't know if they ever announced any sort of winner or it was just points for trying. Um, but for that, I did the Nurgle team, which was three models, which I've been looking at and, and wanting to do justice to, so I was a little bit scared about painting them. But that was the crew that I took because I was like, well, what can I paint? Let's paint an Underworlds crew. And I love the Nurgle model, so I gave them a go. And I just find it, if, you know, for nothing else for me, if I wasn't even playing the game, I'd probably still be collecting quite a few of these crews just for that simple, I want to paint something, let's paint up, you know, maybe three or four orcs or whatever the crew may be. And like they're doing a really good job of the scops for these things too. Like they're really nice models um, because they are small. You can do individual models that they're investing in giving them some personality. So each different model has a bit of different character about it. It's not like painting three of the same guy, even if they are three giant bloody orcs. Um, there, there's enough about them that's different makes it feel like you're painting three individual models that come together. Um, but yeah, they're just not daunting projects. No. On a totally unrelated note to anything that we've been talking about, I've just realised why it seems that my water in my painting cup seems to be going down. I've just got you're a, drinking it, don't you? I've got a cat next to me and he's drinking out of it. So <laughs> excuse me for a second while I just get him down. This is at least vaguely better than, you know, all those times that you go to to drink your own paint water. So, you know. I've been pretty good in that regard. I don't think I've ever really tried to drink my own paint water. However, I did make the the stupid mistake of trying to take a drink the other day in the work lunchroom without taking my mask off. So... Didn't let's not yet. talk about <laughs> yeah let's not talk about how many lattes I've tried to take a sip of I thought I'd been so good and then yeah anyway uh let's get back to Underworld Underworld yeah. so slightly different in that as I said you buy your your fixed crew you can't add models you can't take models away they're the models you're taking but you have to build this deck of the way you will score and how you're going to do it yeah. so the other the other real sort of key point of difference is the the board system, I suppose. So instead of having either an open table like a lot of the the GW games, or uh, a fixed board like Blood Bowl, for example, um, as part of the game sort of setup, each player picks a board, and you 
um, effectively one player gets to position them um, however they want, almost. Um, so that can end up in different boards, different configurations, because you don't have to put them sort of so they line up exactly. You can have them kind of offset or end-to-end and, and different things like that. So you have this sort of, you know, dynamic, you know, playing surface area as well that you're playing on, which is it, it, cool and just adds another little sort of bit of interest to the game. That's another level of, of tactics too because, you know, as we'll talk about later, the, the board positioning becomes, you know, there's ideal ways of doing it depending on what sort of warband you're playing. So just adds that extra element into it. Anyway. So playing through the game as a, a, a basic concept, right? So it's a, a really simple you-go-I-go go kind of mechanic. Regardless of how many um, sort of pieces you've got on the board or models you've got on the board, each player gets four turns. Um, and that could mean that you could activate and use the same one model four times. You could use four different models. Um, you can use you know, variations thereof. But it also means for those bigger crews that often there are models not getting used. Um, or equally, for those... Um, ones that only have three models, for example, you are always going to have to use a, a model a second time or one of the sort of generic actions that you can do, like to you know, pick up a new card off your power deck and spit one out, that kind of deal. Mm-hmm. So another, another balancing factor there. Another thing um, it's probably worth calling out is the each turn, and the game runs for three turns, which one day I will remember. Um, so, and each turn you roll off for who is going first or who gets to choose whether they go first or second. So then it's an alternating activation. Player will do something with their model generally, and that will be either move, attack another model, or a charge action, which is basically move and then attack. Um, your other options are then you can... You know, you can add defensive, you know, guard. Um, you can cycle cards from either of your decks. Um, and then some uh, of the models even have their own abilities uh, printed on the cards of things that they can do as an action that's not necessarily a move or an attack. You know, for example, the, the Skaven um, leader can bring back a, a pleb Skaven as an action. Yeah, and it just gives those warbands a little bit more sort of, again, flavor, a different way to play. Um, and you'll also often find that in those faction-specific objectives, there are objectives that sort of trigger off those unique actions um, to give them different ways to, to sort of score as well. Um, so effectively, player will, will move a model, take an action, do a thing, and then there's what uh, referred to as, I, I believe, the power step, where I get to then play cards from my hand. So at any stage, if you have a um, an objective that says score immediately when a thing happens, and that thing happens, you score it. Um, but all your um, little power cards, so your, your ploys and your gambits and, and um, that kind of stuff, you can then play at this power step. So it might mean that you have a... You, You've moved, and then you have a power card that says, now make a free attack action. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, cool. You play that, you can then make an attack action. Then your opponent gets to play a card. And you kind of go backwards and forwards in this, you know, I'm playing a card, you play a card. I don't want to play a card, but you can still play another one. Um, and then you, you round out that turn, and then it's the other person's activation. So each one of these four player activations within one of the turns, um, both players are still playing which is a, a kind of uh, a cool faction. And there's this kind of balancing act of, I've got three turns, I've got a deck of objectives that I know what's in there, but I don't know when I'm going to get them. Um, and then it's, you know, sort of you get your start of your turn and it's, right, how am I going to score the objectives in my hand? Do I need to start fishing for more objectives or, you know, this kind of stuff as well? And it really changes from turn to turn how you play the game, depending on the cards that you draw. And depending on the cards that you put in your deck, you know, some of them will be hopefully usable at multiple times. Some of them might be a bit more restrictive. So, for example, you know, scoring only at the end of the game but allows you to score more than it would if it was in the middle of the game. Um, card, some cards might only be able to be used by various members of your crew, and so if one of them gets knocked off early, then, you know, you have to sort of rethink strategies on the fly. Yeah, if you've got an upgrade that's only usable by one member and that member's suddenly dead, you suddenly have a whole bunch of dead cards in your hand, um, potentially. So it's it's part of that, A, when you start building the deck, um, and then B, when you're, you're playing, um, knowing that you need to keep this guy safe until he can do the thing that you need him to do. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, each character. I think don't think we've gone into that. Like, you know, there are three to nine characters per crew. Each of them will have different attacks. Now they may be ranged attacks. They may be you know, up close attacks. Uh, they might have abilities written on their cards. They each of them will have three basic stats, which is your move. Uh, so how many squares you move in an activation your defense, which is how many dice you roll when you're getting hit, and how many wounds they have, which is obviously how much it takes to, to knock them out of the game. Uh, but most of the crew members will also have inspired conditions. So you start off with the, your cards for your crew laid in front of you, but when they inspire, depending on when you accomplish certain things throughout the game, those cards will then generally flip over and your crew suddenly gets a little bit beefier and a little bit harder, you know, harder to kill. They might have more attacks, better dice, uh, different abilities. So reaching that inspire condition is quite beneficial for a lot of crews. So there's also that um, how do I make sure that my guys are going to inspire as quickly as possible to get the most out of them. So there's a few different things you're kind of fishing for. As I said, you've got your objectives, you've got these ploys so you can actually achieve your objectives. You've got, um, you know, how can I get my guys to inspire so they're a little bit better. Um, a lot of that going on, what's in my deck, what's in my hand, how can I get what's in my deck to be in my hand. Um, and what's my opponent likely to do? Yeah, yeah. that guy's a jerk. <laughs> So, yeah, it, it's the usual thing. The best laid plans are all come to shit when they meet the opponent. So yeah. it could be um, 
able to think on the fly and try and adapt as well. And and having that's I mean a part of the the real tricky part to this game is is the actual deck building in the first place, trying to make sure that your cards are going to be useful in as many situations as you can think of. Yeah, and look, the other thing that kind of just sprung to mind um, as we were talking is that we're already limited to three turns. We're already limited to four activations each in each one of those turns. Um, But the other thing that makes this a real kind of quick and rapidly changing game is the fact that of those stats that every model has, the wounds is generally not very high. Like four, you know, five is ridiculously high in this game, five wounds. Um, So the defense stat is generally pretty low, but it means that even if models are doing one damage and you're a three or a two or even a four wound guy, one damage is significant. And models drop pretty quickly. And if you can start finding ways to stack damage or, be, you know, buff up your attacks so they do more damage, um, it's pretty common for models to get one-shotted. Um, to, you know, especially some of those kind of, you know, weaker, less melee-centric models. So all of a sudden, the, the game, A, changes rapidly. Um, and it's one more thing that you've kind of got to balance. Who's left on the table? Who can I achieve these objectives with? when I thought I had these models last turn, but now I don't. Um, it, it keeps the tension in the game too. The other thing which is probably worth mentioning as well is the the dice types. So each card or each tack, for example, will have a certain um, uh, stat that will be written on it as to how many dice that you're actually going to roll and what sides on the dice are going to be considered successes. So your attack dice are basically made up uh, this six-sided dice. One of those sides is what they call a crit, a critical hit. There will be, I think there's two hammers, and then there's one sword, something along those lines. Um, so that's, yeah, that's three, that's four, one single assist and one double assist. So the single assist and double assist will only count as a success if you have one or two people assisting you or standing next to the guy that you're attacking. And your attack will either be asking for swords or hammers. So depending on what attack you're doing, you might have you know, three dice looking for hammers, which is pretty good because you've got more hammers, more chance of a success than you know, if that was swords, for example. The defense dice are very similar. They have uh, one crit. They have a single assist, a double assist, uh, two... I'm going to get this wrong, aren't I? I don't know. I thought it was two two shields and a dodge? It's either two shields and a dodge or two dodges and a shield. I think it's one of those two three. shields. You're right. Um, so you're basically... You know, if you're attacking, say, with three dice looking for hammers, you're rolling three dice. You're looking for either crits or hammers, or if you happen to have you know, placed guys next to the guy that you're attacking, you might be looking for assists as well. Your opponent will be rolling you know, one, two, at the very most three dice in defense, but three is an absolute rarity, uh, looking for what they need, which is either going to be hammers or dodges which is printed on their card 
or crits, or again, if they have people standing next to the next to your attacker, then they can look for assists as well. And basically comes down to if you roll more successes than your opponent, then it goes through. Crits are another thing altogether. So if you are rolling two dice and your opponent's rolling however many and you get they get two successes and you get one crit, your crits will take preference over normal successes. So you might be still rolling one dice to their three dice attack, but if you can roll a crit on that dice, you can you can get out of a lot of different scenarios. So I, I think that's a really sort of fun aspect to the game where, you know, it doesn't matter that necessarily that they've got three dice against your one. There's still definitely chances that you're going to come out on top. Yeah, and it's one of those, you start playing the odds. So I know that my three dice is to your one is likely to achieve the outcome that I'm looking for, but it keeps that element of chance. It's not a guaranteed thing. It's not like I can just take the action and, you know, capture your bishop. Um, there's always a chance that your bishop can just stick it up me. Um, so to speak. Yeah. Um, anything else you want to add about the game in general, Joe? No, look, as I said, that the only other thing is, you know, it is literally a, uh, a race for points. So at the end of the game, end of the three rounds, you tally up all the glory that you've managed to accumulate. So you get however many it says on an objective card when you score that objective, and you also get glory for killing models. Um, so every time you murder one of your opponent's models, you get a glory. That glory is the currency to purchase any upgrades that you want to play out of your hand. So you keep the point, but you need to have glory to start putting upgrades on models is the IR, the caveat. Yes. So you get to the end of the game, whoever has the most glory, often it's pretty obvious. Um, yeah, they, they win. And it's because it is so quick, um, they play it as a best out of three. Yep. Cool. All right, well, shall we take a break, play some music, play some tunes? You've done this before. Uh, um, yeah, we'll do that. <laughs> and then we will talk about the game uh, that we played. Excellent.
we're really back this time. Look at that. Are you sure? Look, the the red light is flashing. <laughs> I'm taking that as a win. Okay. Well, hopefully we played some good tunes. Um, so we played Underworld, and uh, we both decided to do take on our certain teams that we wanted to play. Uh, I decided to go with the Nurgle guys, considering I, I was really, really quite happy with how I, my painting came off with, with them. Uh, I tried a few new things on them. Uh, so I tried some edge high highlighting. I tried, you know, um, I did some really good rust and blood effects on the blades. So I was really happy with the models themselves. So I really wanted to give them a go. The Nurgle team has got three fairly slow guys, but they are a little bit beefy. One of which is a magic user, but uh, I didn't really, I didn't at all take any spells or anything like that into my deck. I didn't rely on her being a mage to to get me uh, any closer to victory. They all have a special ability where if you're rolling defense and you roll a shield, then you can, even if the attack is successful, you can reduce the damage by one for each shield down to a minimum of one. Um, but the Nurgle guys, they're one of the newer teams and their faction-specific cards that they get are kind of crap. Like, they just don't have the they don't seem to match the the crew themselves for example there's i think it's one or two cards which involves them holding three objectives which you know with three guys is kind of hard to do because as soon as you lose one guy then that's that gone um, but what is good about them is that they inspire when uh, three or more guys on the opponent's side are wounded or dead which does make them a bit beefier and a bit tougher, which is nice. Uh, and because I've got all of the cards and all of the crews, I decided to make it a little bit difficult uh, for myself. So I, I restricted myself to only playing cards from the Beast Graves in the latest season, just to make it a little bit more challenging. Uh, it did mean that I really wasn't finding an awful lot of synergy with the Nurgle guys with the cards but they are from all accounts online they do seem to be one of those tougher crews to get going and get working on a regular basis yourself Jace. sorry speaking of tougher crews to get going on a regular basis um no I ran the and look we're gonna have to put a disclaimer for pronunciation at this point in time Zench, Zench, I don't care. Um, so the um, the Zench guys, the Eyes of the Nine of the crew. So it's basically a uh, a chaotic wizard, uh, Vortimus, um, the all seeing, all knowing, all I don't know somethings, um, and his warband. So the warband uh, is Vortimus as a magic user. Um, his trusty uh, half beastman. Uh, bodyguard, whose name I also can't pronounce, um, two of his little acolytes, and then a little blue horror. Um, and probably the, the the different point of difference for the crew, right, is the little blue horror you don't put on the board when you set up. 
and Vortimus's specific action is that he can summon a blue horror um, if there's none on the board. So you get this extra little guy pop up to, to be irritating. Um, when the horror dies, he doesn't actually die. He turns into two little brimstone horrors that occupy the same base. Um, but effectively, he just um, turns into a slightly smaller more irritating version of himself and then when you kill him you eventually he goes away um until you bring him back again and until you bring him back again and those i must say those brimstone horrors they're they're a lot more annoying than i expected them to be they are yeah they're, they're kind of fun so i mean the the whole crew and i've basically bought into underworlds each time based on a crew i would like to paint um so with very little understanding of what it takes to play them or what's going on this is this is where i've ended up i also haven't invested in as heavily um as (laughs) as brett may have um i've got a few crews kicking around and you know all the cards from them um but i basically just threw a deck together with all the stuff i had based on what i thought could work at the time so um a little bit interesting for the zinch crew to build because each of the characters have very different roles. Um, so you can't, if you throw in cards specific for one of those models, um, you know, you risk that, always risk losing them and then having some dead cards in your hand. So it's a little bit interesting to try and try and work that out. Also, not particularly known as being one of the easiest uh, warbands to play, I've since discovered. Um <laughs> Yeah, both of the crews that we did choose for the for this game was were ones that are not as commonly played, let's say. Um, but the models are super sweet. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sort of halfway through painting them. I've wholly painted one of them. Um, or maybe two. Um, the horror counts. And um, just having a, a lot of fun Um getting some paint on them. So I've been determined to at least make a run at, at making them work um, and getting them completed, uh, which given that there's only like five models or so seems really, really straightforward. But I also find that the fewer the models I have to paint, the longer I take to paint each individual one. Um, so it doesn't actually net gain me any more painting time but anyway because there are less less models you do want to make them look good unless they're stormcast and in which case you just paint them pink yeah um Um, as you do it's the uh yeah the the fundamental error with uh scoping out hobby projects you're like i'm gonna paint these guys with white armor and non-metallic metals because there's only five of them you know thirty thousand hours later (laughs) Which is, you know, which I found to be quite nice about the Nurgle guys because if they look messy, then they look the way they're supposed to. It's intentional. Yes. <laughs> Nailed it. A couple of things I did find interesting about the the differences between our crews. Uh, first of all was the Inspire condition. So all of my guys inspire at once, basically. So if I have three of your guys wounded or dead, all of my guys inspire, whereas your guys all inspire under different circumstances. Well, the 
the two acolytes and Vortimus all inspire when they make a ranged, so uh, an attack action succeeds that's range three or more. So they've all got, the two acolytes have got a little sorceress bolt, which is not actually a magic attack that's range three, but it's basically a ranged attack. Uh, and Vortimus has a spell that's range three. So they need to actually succeed with that attack action to inspire. Um, Kicharik, the uh, the beastman bodyguard, inspires when he is next to a model that succeeds with a range three attack. So they're inspiring almost on the same condition, but at different times, depending on when they succeed, the horror doesn't get to inspire. He just gets to split into twain. Yeah. So you could end up, you know, with one, two, three, maybe even four guys inspired, but it's going to be different each game, whereas my guys are all going to be inspired or not inspired. Yeah. Um, the other thing I found really good too was with your faction, at least the faction-specific cards that you get with the crew are, seemed a lot more synergetic with what you were trying to do. They seemed like yep. you'd include a lot more of those in a base uh, Eyes of the Nine deck. Even if you had access to all the cards out there, I think you would still use quite a lot of the, the faction-specific cards in there, um, which is kind of cool in that you know, you don't need a thousand other crews to, to put together a semi-useful deck. Um, so that was, yeah, A, kind of handy for me. Um, the only thing I would probably say is that it also includes a lot of model-specific upgrades mm-hmm. and, and abilities and stuff like that. So, um, and I tend to try and steer away from a lot of them. I think knowing yeah, unless it's a really, really good card, some of those model specific ones, you just kind of. Um, I think the only one that I included in my, I think I included two in my deck, but they were usable on two of the three of my guys. So if I lost one of those guys, then I could still technically use it. Yeah, that's that's a fifty fifty shot. That's it. Um, yeah, and I think the only difference for that is my the. My crew hinges so much around Vortimus as their kind of, you know, all-inspiring leader um, that I felt pretty confident throwing cards in for him specifically um, because he's pretty pivotal, so I need him around. Um, so that was, yeah, that's probably the only exception to that rule. Yeah. So the as we delved into a little bit earlier, so the, the rounds are made up of four activations per crew. And then there's three rounds in the game. So, uh, and the games are best of three, just because they're, they're fairly speedy games. You can knock off a game in, in half an hour pretty easily. Uh, so, the first game we played, uh, I had a couple of things happen. First, um, first round um, for both of us. So, I think straight away I played a card called Collapse on you which does a point of damage to anybody within three squares on an outside of a board which was fairly easy for me to hit one of your guys doing one point of damage which is a third of my inspire condition so i put a lot of cards into my deck which would hopefully just give me that opportunity to do quick little bits of damage to enable my guys to inspire quickly Look, the other thing to point out there is none of my guys had a, a an abundance of wounds either. So doing one point of damage on one of those guys is often fifty percent of their available wounds. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, there's there's a 
you know, greater than, you know, the turnaround is, is pretty good on the ad investment. So for uh, continuing on in the, the first round of the game, uh, you placed down your blue horror, which seemed to be pretty consistent amongst the games that we played, which mm-hmm. seems like a good enough tactic. He was fairly close. So my big beefy guy with axes um, decided to charge into him, uh, wiping him out, but then turning him into this little flame horror, which only has one wound, but, as I discovered later on in the games, can do quite a lot of damage in return. Um, But then I managed to play a couple of cards to distract that Flame Horror into a Lethal Hex, which is a uh, spot on the board which will do one damage to anybody walking into it. So uh, that managed to kill him off, which was another point uh, towards my Inspire condition. Uh, and then on the next activation, I charge one of my guys into two of your guys. So he has this big sweeping attack, um, which he can attack you know, everyone around him. Um, and I did absolutely nothing. And got hit for two damage in return, which was half his health. <laughs> yeah. Um, and there is that uh, you know, impact of the dice on that. Yes. <laughs> What seems like a, a relatively safe move. Hmm. Well, you know, the thing is, charging into two people, you are, um, you're automatically giving them an assist in defense. So unless you've got somebody there to give you an assist in offense, um, you know, there's a little bit less likely chance that you're going to hit them than if you were doing one-on-one. Yeah, um, the you know the other half of that is the fact that he's hitting both of us because he's got this sweeping attack that he can hit everyone he's adjacent to. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're kind of doing that trade off. You know, there's less chance that I will hit an individual model, but there's greater chance that I get to hit more than one. Yes. So true. Um, and then in the fourth activation of that round, the little blue horror decided to come back. So as he was wont to do. Yeah, it's a thing. Um, and look, uh, a really handy, and, and speaking of specific um, faction-specific cards, so the Summoner um, objective is one that's, that's in the Zinch deck, and effectively it's score glory every time, or on the second time you summon a Blue Horror. So throwing him out at the start of the game is a pretty safe bet. He usually pings off a couple of wounds. Eventually he'll give up a glory um, for dying, um, but hopefully you sort of made up um, by by softening someone up or even, you know, killing someone off, and then you get some extra glory the next time you throw him back, and suddenly you've got A, numbers on the board, B, multiple points to, um, you know, threaten, um, or multiple objectives you might be able to achieve, um, and, and some glory for your troubles as well. So, useful. Yeah, definitely. And, and another point is that, that horror can pop up on pretty much any starting position on either board. So, you know, if I'm heading towards your guys, then all of a sudden I've got a blue horror at my back that I might have to, to think twice about. Yep. So he can he can pay off, I believe, by just simply distracting somebody away from the rest of your crew. Yeah, he is the distraction kind of exit the crew. Yeah. Uh, in the second round, I decided to go first, having won the roll-off, and my 
my big beefy guy with his swing that hits everybody decided to give it another go uh, and ended up killing both of your little guys. Disappointing. Definitely paid off that time. Um, I did with the same guy. And this guy, I must say, throughout the games, this guy seemed to be the best model in my crew. He had the, the beefiest attacks and he had a bit of variety he had a bit of range and he had a bit of variety too which meant that um he just he he seemed to work quite well in the crew the leader who was my magic user just didn't seem to do much bit underwhelming i tended to live but Mm -hmm. that was about it um on the killing two models at once situation suboptimal um but Equally or doubly suboptimal because one of the objectives I'm holding in my hand at this point in time is score glory if one of those two are alive and the other is dead. So what I really needed was for one of those attacks to have fluffed Mm -hmm. um, and then run the hell away. (laughs) Um, So when I knew I'd... The second I'd lost that dice roll, it was getting a little bit dicier. And then when the, the dice came up, Millhouse for your good self, mm-hmm. um, and I lost both of them. That was another suddenly, uh, you know, one of the three objective cards in my hand. I knew I couldn't score, um, and had to start thinking about how we were going to get some more, some more points. Yeah. Um, yeah, it just it seemed to the dice seemed to be in my favour this game in particular. I think because uh, that same same round, I did charge into your leader with. Um, with the same guy, with my spear guy. Um, I'm pretty sure I managed to take him out in the uh, the second round. Um, he did get killed in return by your beastman, uh, but by that stage he'd done enough damage to more than pay for himself. So, Yeah, at this point in time I've got a beastman and a horror. Yeah. Um, it's, it's not looking great. Um, and I suppose this is that piece. So Vortimus kicks off um, on four wounds, which is actually pretty good um, for, for a starting point, but with not a lot of other defensive tech available. So probably the piece I've discovered here is you need, you generally need to give them upgrades to make them more defensible. Mm-hmm. So you need to start throwing those into your, your deck, but then you also need glory to be able to put upgrades on stuff so you either need to be scoring glory quickly or killing other models pretty quickly um so it, it's a you know very resource managed there's a lot of resource management in that um to make that happen but yeah vortimus going down is is pretty pivotal in yep. any case um because yeah what, being, being the leader he's not just a leader in namesake as mine was because i mean Admittedly, I didn't build my deck around my leader, but she was the weakest of my lot and definitely didn't do much attack-wise. Um, but I didn't tend to use him. I, I, you know, I've got my big beefy guy with his two axes and my my spear guy, and they did pretty much all the work for me most games. Yeah. So, um, so round three, um, I charged my big beefy guy into your beastman. I'm th- pretty sure I took him out as well. Which relatively sure yeah. that happened. Um, and then I played five power cards in one round, which gave me a quick glory from one of my uh, one of my objective cards. And 
Yeah, I think those five cards actually killed off the horror in the end as well. So <laughs> I th- think that was a table wipe for you. Sounds about right. Uh, Glory-wise, that game ended up 15-3 to three in my favour. So. so close. Close. That's what we learned. That's right. Look, and this has been probably for, for Clary... Um, not just my own personal ego, but it's been a while between games um, of Underworlds. It hasn't been sort of my go-to game. So a lot of this was going, oh, I remember how this works again. I know, you know, how I need to start my brain operating to to get into the, the swing of things as well. So it was it was definitely a good learning curve to just go, all right, right. I vaguely sort of know how this needs to play out now. And this, yeah, the, like I said, this is this is one of those games that sort of plays, definitely plays into my favour a bit because I have that history with, with deck building for, I mean, I played a lot of the CCGs that you can think of. So your Magic, your, um, uh, I played the Warhammer 40k collectible card game for a long time, the Warcry, which was the name of the Warhammer Fantasy one, uh, I played Raw Deal, which was a WWE one for quite some time. Um, I played you know, Rage. I played Monty Python and the Holy Grail collectible card game, the Simpsons collectible card game. And then most recently, I, for quite some time, I was playing Dice Masters, which is a, a dice game, but with a, a deck building part to it. So I've had a lot of experience looking for synergy with cards and um, working out kind of the best ways to build things, which is why why I tried to limit myself in my card picks for this one. But this is this is definitely a little bit in my favour as far as experience goes. Um, add that to the fact that I have played in two tournaments for for Underworlds as well. So. Mm. But yeah, I mean, you can show up to a tournament. That doesn't really matter, right? Yeah, yeah you can. Um, yeah, I showed up to two. <laughs> <laughs> I think I came, I came third or fourth in my first one, so that's not not too bad. Anyway, uh, so these games are best of three. Uh, so we moved on to game two. Um pretty much in the first round it was a lot of us drawing cards and not wanting to move too close to each other so yeah and look probably point of difference for this one i got to place the boards um and instead of having them relatively open we went end to end Mm -hmm. so we played like lengthways along the boards so we started off a further from each other um and I didn't particularly want to get to the big punchy guys too quickly. Um, Same but also, Yeah. Um, but also it's kind of a balancing act because you're also trying to get to the right place when you've got the right cards in your hand. So you're also doing a little bit to try and shuffle you know, your, your hand around to get the cards that you need to do the stuff you want to do to, to win the glory, to get the women, to get the power. Anyway. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so it it becomes. I mean, sometimes you you just want to delay the game a little bit, especially. I mean, I've got three guys, so a lot of the times I was charging with all three of my guys, and then I've got a fourth activation to draw cards anyway. Um, in the first round of game two, 
I think I was drawing a couple of cards um, simply because I had that objective card in my hand again, which enabled me to play five power, or well, when five power cards are played in the same activation, scores me glory. So, plus I built, that was, I kind of built my, my deck around that sort of scenario as well. There was a card in my deck which gave me glory for having no power cards left at the end of the game. And I had a couple of cards in my power deck, which would enable me to draw more cards. Yeah. And that was, look, that was a definite theme um, and something you did of it infinitely more than I did um, was just, and you're know, partially because your deck was built around it, but just that I don't have anything that's really productive to do. I'm going to draw another card to try and find something mm-hmm. or so I've got enough cards that I can actually play them in one activation. Yep. Um, I think, yeah, first round you did some damage to my leader. Uh, and, of course, I believe the horror came yeah. in the first. Drop the horror out. Yeah, of course. Yeah, tap the leader. Uh, in the second round, I did charge the horror, uh, did enough damage to turn it, in, turn it into the flame horror, uh, which I then pushed into another lethal hex because um, I was making sure that I had enough lethal hex hexes around in my deployment to make it a little bit easier for me to manipulate your guys around behind me. There was a lot of them. I did notice that. Yes. yes. I was choosing at, at the start of the, each game, you can choose to put a lethal hex anywhere, almost anywhere on the board. And most of the time I was putting that lethal hex closer to my edge of the table than Jason's. Um, so I got glory from the, the flame horror dying, but I also got a card, I had a card which gave me glory for killing somebody with a lethal, um, lethal hex as well. So that horror then came back and decided to kill off my leader. Like yeah, look, yeah, and it did it quite well. So no, it did, did do it quite well because I'm pretty sure he did it by pushing you into a lethal hex. But I also had an objective in my hand that gave me glory for doing for killing someone with a damage characteristic of one. Mm-hmm. But a lethal hex is not a damage characteristic of one from an attack action, so I did not get that glory. No, it's it's damage from a lethal hex and not an attack. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah, almost, almost, but not quite. Technical, yeah. yeah. Um, and then. Uh, then later in that round, my big spear guy charged into your guys, um, and they all inspired all my guys. Uh, round three, I had, don't have too much notes for this, but my axe guy took out your beastman, and I think it was all over again. So ended that game, funnily enough, fifteen to three in my favour as well. <laughs> so there's your best of three. So. We could have ended there and done the report on that, but in what we feel is probably a good indication of this game, we decided not to. So we decided, and I think this was your suggestion in the first place, Jace, which I really appreciated, but to try and tweak the decks and have another go. So I think both of us, but probably more yourself than, than me, definitely noticed some cards in our decks which weren't working the way that we thought they might or that were we were finding were less 
advantageous than they, we originally thought. Absolutely. Like I was flicking through just after the game, just flicking through the deck and it sort of, it, it really comes to light when you're in the middle of a game and you're looking for objectives and you're looking at the cards that score objectives in your hand and go, oh, I can't score any of these now because the stars haven't aligned the right way. So it was a really sort of, you know, a good point around building a deck that works no matter which order you draw the cards or, you know, which cards you've got have, have in your hand at any given moment. Because um, if you're relying on, you know, this card to come before that card, it, it doesn't necessarily work. So there was that. But there was also the, how do I actually score these objectives with my crew and the cards in my hand, knowing how the game sort of plays out? And it felt a little bit limiting. And look, realistically, I had put a lot of um, objective-focused stuff in there um, and hadn't really capitalised on any of the magic. Um, there's a bunch of um, power cards that you can throw in your... which are extra spells. And I'm like, I don't understand the point of throwing these extra spells in. So I didn't put any of them in. Um in the first time around and uh, but there were you then kind of looking for other cards that do other stuff and it just kind of wasn't wasn't kind of clicking or the times it did click it it required the, the planets to align for it to happen so we we're having a bit of a chat after the game and the, the idea of these magic uh power cards sort of came up um and then we kind of realized that or you probably pointed out, that there's some objective cards that basically trigger off you if you cast two spells, score a point. If you do a thing, you know, with magic, score a point. So for me, it was then going back and going, all right, well, I can actually score a lot of these points without relying on my model's all being alive or all being in certain places or it just takes a little bit of that uncertainty out of the the scoring. Mm -hmm. So then it came back to, all right, what can we do to give me as many chances to score where you don't have a way to stop it per se? Um, Knowing full well that if Vortimus dies that it's a pretty big swing in the game and it will take a lot of playing to, to fix that. So you can kind of rely on him casting stuff um, as a, a sort of a key key point. So that was kind of the plan. Went back and, and rejigged a deck based on that kind of concept through a whole bunch of magic um, in the deck, a few objectives to, to get me uh, glory when I cast some spells Um and a few other bits and shits, and just as a bit of a clean-up, you, like, you, you actually read the wording of the card as you're playing the game. You're like, oh, this does not do what I thought it did. Well, this has an extra word on it that means it doesn't work in this instance. All right, so we threw a lot of those out and, and had a bit of a clean-up. Absolutely. So, yeah, I did a little bit of rejigging with mine, but not an awful lot. And In fact, I did less changes than I thought I did. I think when we sat down to play the second lot of games, I said, oh, I threw these cards out because I found that I wasn't using them. And then my first hands that I draw for the first game, one of them was in there. And I'm like, maybe I didn't throw them out. <laughs> so um, in typical, uh, you know, the, the 
amount of effort that we put into these podcasts and the information that we want to give you um, for the second lot of games, I pretty much have written down nothing. So I'm just going to give you a basic idea of what happened in each game. Keep it nice and short and simple. Game one, Jace won the roll-off and chose to set up the boards uh, lengthways, so a lot more distance between the two of us. Vortimus uh, was right back at the back of his board, making it quite difficult for me to get to. And so he survived the whole round. And the final score for that game was not 15 to 3. It was 7 to 5 in Jace's favour. Yeah. So, yeah, a bit, bit of a swing. And probably sort of key points for me of that was, all right, so I knew that collapse was a thing. So putting guys right on uh, the board edge was sometimes hazardous. Um, but knowing I had all these magic spells in my deck and I need Vortimus alive, there was basically sort of a, a game there where I had the rest of my crew basically running interference to let him do stuff. Mm. Um, so it was in every opportunity, how can I get him to throw one of these gambit spells out as just a one-shot spell, ping a wound off a dude, hopefully, or do something that irritating, um, and then starting to, to trigger glory off that. Still probably um, a few, you know, learning moments. We won't call them complete fuck-ups, but no, they were pretty pretty close. Um, I still have a couple of, or I still had a, a couple of objective um objectives in my deck so uh, supremacy is um score a bunch of uh, glory if you have three objectives you've got models on three different objectives um and there's another one that's a faction specific one that is exactly the same mechanic but you score an extra two so having those two cards means a potential five glory um I also had a card in there that you get a glory for if you have one model that doesn't have an enemy or friendly model within three of it called loner funnily enough um and with the ability to punch the horror out wherever the hell i want on the board it actually seems kind of feasible that being said in my infinite wisdom i thought all right well i can put two guys on objectives pretty early and i can put the horror out the asshole of nowhere on the board on another objective and i've got three objectives i've got loner i've got i've got all these i'm getting glory out the wazoo but the horror was way too close to one of your i want to say the leader so it was not going to be by itself Uh okay now i remember you saying as after you'd placed him that that you that was a fuck up yeah you know what you were talking about but now i do yeah so way too close to the leader he was never going to be by himself. And I was like, oh, no, this is fine. I still have three models and three objectives. I'll just make one of them, um, you know, more than three away from everyone else. However, I had placed both those other two objectives within three <laughs> of each other. So there was no way that I could get um, three models on objectives and uh, have one model more than three away from the other just failed in in that regard so we lost some potential glory that i should have been thinking about literally from that setup phase um going i know these cards are in my deck i need objectives to be a little bit further away from each other just in case i need to score both yep 
Uh, and that's that's one of the things with this game. I find that even playing the same crew over and over and over again, which is not something I tend to do anyway, but you can do that. And, and each time that you play it, you're going to learn a little bit more about the cards that you've got in your deck, how much uh, synergy they have, how many times they're, they're coming off and how many times they're, they're just sitting in your hand as a dead card. So the more you play with the crew, the more you're going to learn bits and pieces like this. Yeah, and I feel like it really does become a, a tweaking game. Like you, you play, you play with the, the same crew, the same deck. You go, all right, this doesn't work. All right, I'll pull these cards out and throw other ones in, and then you try that. And it's this constant kind of refinement. Um, you play some against some different opponents that do different shit, and you realize that okay, well, these worked against these crews or these opponents, but I need something a little bit more general. Mm-hmm. So, I, th- I think there's some real merit in that that being said my attention span is particularly low um and i like new shiny things which makes it tricky (laughs) um so getting back to the game let's game two i won the roll off for the boards so i was determined not to make not to do the lengthways because that was just way too hard to get to you. Um, I stuck them in pretty much like a, a small square type shape, so they were as close as possible. Plus the board that you had uh, chosen had a lot of its starting positions on one edge. So mm-hmm. I sort of flipped that around and made, made your starting positions as close to my board as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, that particular game, I did manage to get in uh, into your leader and, and wipe him out, uh, which seemed to be a, quite a bit of a change um, to the to the circumstances. Uh, and that game ended up eleven to three in my favour. Yeah. Um, and look, it was it was interesting because the second you flipped the board around, I went, "Oh, that's right. They they can work both ways." Um, but because I'd, I'd picked it going, right, well, and literally put it in front of me the way that I would like it faced <laughs> with the starting positions nice and far away from you. And it also had a couple from memory, a couple of sort of blocked hexes where you couldn't move guys into it. It had sort of had line of sight blocking terrain effectively in it. Um, and here I am thinking, right, well, I'm all the way over here and I can kind of run around these rocks and stuff to to make it harder for you to get to me, this could be a thing. And then you spun the board around. I'm like, oh, yeah, that, that can happen too. Because, <laughs> yeah, when you lose that first roll-off, you get to choose the board first. So you might um, choose a board which is more beneficial to you, but you've got absolutely no say in how it's set up in relation to the other board. So um, depending on, on which warband you're running, that, that roll right at the start of the game can really influence the, the tide of the game from the first activation. Uh, so we went to game three, best of three. Um, you won the roll off for the boards again and placed them lengthways. Uh, but this time I did, you did summon the horror behind me and I yeah. decided to pretty much just let it go. Left it alone. Left it alone. I charged forward, I think, in my first round, I charged two of my guys through lethal hexes, taking a point of damage each, just to get them in your half of the board as soon as possible. Um, yeah. Which did, I'm pretty sure that scored me an objective card uh, in my hand. But um, 
yeah, I got in close quickly. Uh, Vortimus ended up dead that game as well, and the final score was ten to four. And look, that was you know moments there where is it when I summoned the horror at the, the sort of far back of the board. I'm you know it had worked every other game, and you kind of at least held one of those models back to kind of fuck around with him. And you didn't. You ignored him and, and ran away. And I'm like, no, come back. Um, and then had to try and find ways to either move him or score glory with him nowhere near anyone. Um, and then the second piece of that is me holding models where I thought they were literally kind of just out of range until you decided to dive through these lethal hexes and were willing to take damage to get, you know, in my face. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Um, and that game, I mean, it ended up 10 to 4. It could very well have swung completely the other way. Um, you, I had a fair idea about this whole supremacy thing by that stage. Um, and you had, by the end of it, you had three guys on objectives and one guy sort of in the middle. Yeah. Um, so I was quite determined. I took out that guy in the middle and then charged forth into a, one of the guys on the objectives to make sure I knocked him, at least knocked him off, but ended up killing him, I think. So Yeah. And and that was one of those that, you know, losing Vortimus still had cards in my hand to try and actually, you know, score some points, but it also relies on dice. And probably the the interesting uh, mechanic that we haven't really gone into is the, the knockback mm-hmm. option. So um, if you attack someone... Um, and you succeed, even if they successfully defend against it, if you have a successful attack roll, you can push them a square or a hex away from uh, where you're going. So that becomes really useful, even if you're not dealing damage to start pushing people either off objectives, um, away from supporting uh, you know, other models or into lethal hexes, as the case may be. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there was... It was always risky to try and go for a, a last-minute dash for some objectives, but um, yeah, you just got to kind of hope that the dice don't go go your way. That's it. I mean, you know, with uh, with the dice, uh, if they hadn't have gone in my favour, then then your four could very easily have become an eleven or twelve by the end of the game. Yep. So, um, overall thoughts on the game, Joe's. Um. In general, look, I'm I'm a mixed bag on Underworlds. I and it's funny because I actually really enjoy the game, and I think, you know, the second we we got a couple of games in and we played, and even though you spanked the living shit out of me, I my immediate thought was right. Well, there's some other stuff I can do here. Let's let's rejig the deck and have another go because the game itself is a lot of fun. It's really dynamic. It's nice and fast. There's a lot of moving parts and resources and stuff to. Um, kind of yeah to manage and I think it makes for a really exciting a really you know tension filled kind of game um, probably for me the like I don't have the the deck building experience at all and I think you know I made this comment earlier that it's funny I've, I've played any number of miniature war, war games where you've got to build an army list or a crew or a you know gang or whatever and in every sense it, that makes sense and whilst deck building is theoretically the same concept it just doesn't quite um that being said 
I have never been one of those people that kind of sees really key synergies in models and realizes this model has an ability and it does a thing and then if I combine that with this and then add that and then subtract that and you know divide by pi and suddenly I get this outcome that's never been my jam um and equally I generally play best any game pick a game any game if I do stick to the one crew, faction, army, whatever, um, and kind of just chip away at getting my head around it and kind of mastering it, knowing how it works in in every situation. Um, And I feel like Underworlds, given that the crews are such a a small model count, they're easy to get a new one, there's lots of really sweet models, it's hard to stay focused Mm -hmm. on that one one faction as well, which is probably not helping my cause. Because they're not overly expensive too. Like the crews by themselves set you back what fifty bucks for up to nine models and a handful of cards. So yeah, yeah. Um, All so too easy just to pick up another one. Yeah, As and it's... <laughs> um, and I mean I've been relatively restrained in my my purchasing because it, you know it's it's one game of however many that I I play. Um, so I mean that that's kind of it, I, I really like the the mechanic. I really like the fact that it's an objective based. I, I kind of dig objective based games um, where you also get points for killing. Um, I think that's that's probably the best balance. Um, suppose for me, there's there's a couple of things that really make the game hard to to dive into. And I suppose for me, it's the way that they package up those universal cards. So if you buy a crew, you get a crew with your faction-specific cards and some universal cards, and every different crew has different universal cards in it. So it suddenly means that for you to have the you know an equal playing field, you need to have all of the available cards, or at least most of. Um, or to know what cards that you need. Um, and I suppose unless you wanted to go Pokemon style and catch them all, it, it, it makes it a little bit, you know, it, it removes the level of playing field a little bit and it feels like it's a little pay to win. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was probably one of the key detractors for me when I worked out that's how they were going to package the universal cards. It was kind of a bit of a, a dampener. Um and I kind of at that point said, right, well, I'm going to grab the crews I want and I'll have those cards and that is it. Um, I'm not going to go chasing, whereas, to be honest, if they packaged up cards, I would probably just buy cards. Um, but that isn't really an option. So that kind of dictated how deep I was going to get in at any at any point in time. The other thing that kind of got me, and two parts, one part, the ultimate, you know, the ultimate competitive miniatures game. Stop it, stop it, GW. You have never made anything balanced in your life, and you are not about to start. It is not the ultimate competitive miniatures game. That is an outright lie. Um, so the other thing that gets me, and this is an element of balancing on on Games Workshop's behalf, but also not something I have experience with, is this concept of cycling out um, old seasons. Mm-hmm. old cards 
So the the premise here is, and what they've basically said is for their championship format, which is the tournament legal format, and to be honest, I can't be bothered learning other formats. I'm just going to play one, so I only have to build one deck at any given time, and I know it works, so that's just how it's going to work because it feels like a lot of effort. Um, Also, just having a lot of cards is a lot of effort, but anyway... um, so this, so what they basically said is, when they brought out season three, they said we're retiring all the season one cards. So if you have a a faction, those faction specific cards will still be legal, but any of the universal cards that you had and any of the boards that you had and all that just they no longer work in that tournament format. Um, so we're keeping the the current version and the last one, um, and that will be a continual cycle. So when they release the next version, which, or the next season. Roughly December, I'm thinking. This this year. December this year. Yeah. Um, It means that they cycle out. The the Shadespire Universal cards will no longer be useful and the Night Vault Universal cards and boards and everything will not be used. Um, So the faction-specific ones will be fine and then anything from Beastgrave and whatever the new one is called, um, I've forgotten already. Uh, yeah, I've forgotten. Yeah. It's got some um, But the the thing that gets me there is, again, not being a super competitive tournament player that wants to catch them all, most of my collection is now not viable for, for a, a game format. Um, and realistically, the primary game format. Um, so... Probably in a vacuum, it makes not a lick of difference if you're just playing with some mates in the shed, and that's a thing. But it just makes it a little bit harder to get into the game, um, knowing that you kind of have to keep up with the Joneses to keep up. So the game itself is really fun. The um, the the whole you know concept, the combining the miniature game and the positioning and the movement and everything, along with the the card mechanic is super cool um keeping the relevant uh, random element of the dice super cool um keeping it objective based love it um it's those other things on the periphery that kind of dampen the super enthusiasm that i could have for a game and makes sense look everything that you say makes sense and I also feel, even though I've had more experience, I do feel it to the, to a similar sort of extent. Like when season four comes out, then then there's going to be another starter box with another two factions, another couple of de- uh, boards, and it's going to have mainly faction specific cards. So when that that starter box comes out, it's going to have maybe half a dozen to a dozen cards that you are universal most of which will be have been in previous sets anyway so it's not going to add an awful lot but all of a sudden you're restricted to that and all the beast grave cards and as i discovered making a deck out of just beast grave cards the, the synergy for a lot of it is kind of not there it relies on previous cards from previous sets so I understand the whole rotating out thing because a um, you know it keeps things different. It keeps um, decks evolving. It stops you seeing if you were to go to tournament, tournament after tournament after tournament. It stops you seeing those same decks win again and again and again and again. 
Um, but it's also, it also keeps things on a bit more of a level playing field for those getting into the game. Not those necessarily in the game at the moment, but for people that are just starting out that, can't get the season one war bands or even some of the season two war bands, which might not be be being made at the moment. The fact that they can't get those cards in the first place leaves them at a disadvantage if those are the cards that they need to compete. But when you rotate out a full set and you're only adding in little bits at a time, then the overall card pool that you you have to play with for at least the first couple of months until they start bringing out new crews is basically halved. Um, so you've got, you'll have, if you've got all the cards, you've got all the beast grave, then you've got a handful of cards, most of which are already in beast grave. So you've already got copies of, um, and then everything else is not going to be able to be used. So I would have perhaps preferred to see it a little bit more staggered. So, um, for example, in Night Vault, what were the last two crews? It was the Wood Elves and the Thunderdicks, the, um, the Dwarves. Yeah. The Dwarves with the, uh, the cannons. Um, because they were the last crews in Season 2, they haven't had as much playtime or is not much uh, going on as say the original Night Vault crews so if there was more staggered so when season 4 comes out if they maybe stopped half of Night Vault it'd actually be interesting on that if when they dropped the game box so Mm -hmm. the sort of season 4 box they said right any of the cards in Night Vault, the core box, kill those mm-hmm. because a lot of them are reprints, right? You've yep. got all your, your you know, stand on objective one um, style objectives. And then as you brought out a new crew, you could replace the old and old crew and almost do it one for one style mm-hmm. and make it a really staggered thing. So, um, and that way you could almost plan it to say that. You know, if I'm doing range crew new release, I kill the old range crew, but there's probably a lot of very similar cards in there, so you don't have to necessarily throw everything out. You've still got usable cards from your old set because they've reprinted them. Absolutely. Um, would be an interesting way just to, to sort of make it not as drastic a change. And there, and there are other games that have done this sort of thing, but done it to a different degree. So, um, for example, the one I most have most recent experience with is Dice Masters, and they were bringing out, I dare say, I don't know, at their peak, maybe six different um, expansions a year. And when they eventually adopted the the rotating out aspect they'd pick a point and they'd say, right, from release, I don't know, let's say say the Batman set. Uh, anything pre the Batman set is now not playable in the championship equivalent format. Anything past that is. And then they'd release an, a handful more, uh, say another six before they they adjusted that range and then they just increase it by about six in so it was still keeping like a similar amount of 
um, playable cards. Whereas the, the whole, as soon as season four drops, then everything pre season three that isn't faction specific really makes a hell of a dent um, yeah. as far as people's you know capability, even capabilities of making a deck. So, and it it really does then make it feel like it's a race to catch up, and you you need to keep. Like, this is where my, my sort of pay-to-win comment comes from because it feels like that once that happens, you then have to buy all of the new crews to have all of the available cards to, to compete in the current set, knowing full well that they're going to be out of rotation at some time in the future. Mm-hmm. So, it's look, it's clever in that it keeps people in the game purchasing right cuz that that is one of the the biggest risks that you have somebody in the hobby they've got a big collection of whatever the hell they need and they don't actually need to continue purchasing so then your your sales rely on new customers what this does is actually keep that continual burn from everybody who stays in the game so i can see where it is really beneficial to be fair mm-hmm. i am not that person though um <laughs> So I, I am unfortunately, and you know, I I do find myself like I said, I buy every single crew almost that comes out. Um, I justify it to myself by saying, well, you know, some of these cards will be definitely useful in decks that I want to make, but most of these models are just fantastic looking models, and even if I don't play the crew themselves, I'm still having an awful lot of fun painting up the models for those crews. So I'm justifying it to myself, but at the same time, half of me, especially seeing as the last two crews, which were the Dark Elves and the Orcs, um, have been released during COVID. So it's not like you can really get out there and play an awful lot of people while the restrictions were really still quite enforced. Um, And, you know, I... There are people that will play this online and, and my hat is still off to you guys, especially the Geelong crew who are just like continually playing games through Zoom, which is fantastic. But just for, for me personally, I can't do that. So it then buying the last two crews as when I did, I really had to talk myself <laughs> into it a little bit. The models were fantastic. I really wanted oh, them, but the dark I was going to use them. Yeah. The Dark Elves are glorious models. Like, I had that fight myself to go, I think I need these, but no, I don't. But but I think I do. Um, and have so far resisted. I can... But one of them is a snake. Yeah. I can feel myself um, wavering pretty hard at the, the new box when that drops. Mm-hmm. That will be purchased. I can feel it in my bones already. Like, let's just not fight it. No. Um, it's Slanish. Yes. <laughs> it's yeah, it's it's the best of the Chaos Gods, um, with the coolest of the models of the Chaos Gods and the best of the elves. Mm-hmm. So it, there is literally no losing for me here. It's literally high elves and these are still high elves to call them whatever the fuck you want. Um they were my first Warhammer army and that will be a thing. Um I feel like there is always that sense of nostalgia. Um so I'm on board and then you add in, you know, my favorite of the Chaos Gods and I'm going to have to because the fluff is super cool too between those sort of, you know, the elves and, and Slanesh as well. 
Um, it just it's it feels super cinematic. Mm-hmm. Diachasm. I've just looked it up. Season four, Diachasm. It's an appropriate Slanishy name. It is. It is. Look, Underworlds is one of those games that I I struggle internally just to try and keep up and keep purchasing because I fi- I still find myself purchasing them all. But I've done that with other games and ended up with you know boxes of stuff that I'm not using. However, I do really enjoy playing this game when I do get to play it, and I I really like it as a a social little game between friends. It's very quick to play. Uh, it does have that deck building element, which is so ingrained into my gaming experience that that, that just makes me froth at the mouth a little bit. Um, and the other thing I will say is that G-Dub have done a lot of good work with promoting like uh, tournaments, for for Underworlds, there's been a lot of promotional stuff which has come out to stores, um, and not just Warhammer stores, but um, you know your third party stores as well, with you know promotional cards that you can get um, by playing tournaments, um, and even uh, glass trophies, which are pretty solid, you know, glass trophies for the winners of each tournament, um, and you know I was very lucky to to get my hands on one of those in the second tournament that I won um very some very very tight games it was it was pretty much a, a toss of a coin with as to whether I'd win that or, or lose it but it's that trophy's got a little pride of place in in my cabinet at the moment um and I just love the fact that GW has rather than just put out the game and let people play it they're still promoting it um with these little tournaments and 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 trophies and and promotional stuff it's it's a pickle um i also haven't really found an elegant solution to card storage and selection which probably does not help um in that i i have a folder a lot of cards are in it, but also a lot of them are in a pile next to me at the moment. Um, That's where so, my CD comes in. I've got three folders, one for each season. They're all in numerical order. Yeah, and I haven't gone to the... See, mine were in numerical order, um, and I realized I didn't have enough folders to start um, leaving gaps for any of the cards I didn't have, which would be the preferred option. So if I had cards one, four, and five, I would have gaps for two and three for when I eventually get them. Sure. Um, but I, I didn't have enough folders for that. So I didn't adhere to that. So if I had cards one, four, and five, I had one, then four, then five. And then if I buy another set that has card three, I now have to move every single card in my collection. A long one or two, and that crushes my soul. It's funny that you say that because that's the whole reason I started collecting them all is because I put, started putting the cards in the folder, and I left the gaps. And I was like, "Well, you know, I've got a folder full of gaps at the moment. Maybe I'll just buy one more. Maybe I'll just buy one more." <laughs> um, and it's funny because I started this game because, like I said, the models are so beautiful. Um, I started this game by my sister got me the Skaven crew from, from season one um, for my birthday. And 
I painted them up. I loved the models, but I didn't actually play the game until months after that. Um, but yeah, once it got me, it got me good. <laughs> yeah, look, I, I knew it was one of those. I got in at season one again because the models were were really pretty. I think I got the orcs first because it was something real different to paint. I hadn't, you know, done anything like that. So they're really nice to put together. They're really nice to paint. Um, and then it was kind of, oh, well, I've got them. I might as well might as well put them on the table and see what they do. But it, it is one of those games where I feel like they get you by like, oh, you only need this $50 box to play. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, he's, you know, it's such a, an easy buy-in. Yeah, it is. And then, then, the, then they get you. They jack up yeah. the price. As a as a summary, I really love this game. I hate the fact that I feel like I have to have them all, uh, but I also love the fact that I have to have them all because the <laughs> completionist OCD in me will do that, and I'll keep doing that as long as I'm playing. And even you know, in a couple of months during COVID, when I'm not playing, I'll keep doing that. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm the same. The game itself is actually super cool. I would need to invest significant time to be any good at it, um, which is probably not going to happen. And I'll probably just continue sucking and not giving any shits. Um, but I will stay, you know, only semi invested at best just because of the way that they're promoting and supplying and, and, you know, selling the game. Um, I'll buy the cool stuff when I really want the cool stuff and I will aim to resist as much as I can. Either way is good. Yeah. <laughs> Look, you know, at the end of the day, we're having fun. Whether whether we get everything or whether we just get a few things. It's a fun game. It's it's a quick game too. So you can, if you just want to have a, like a one-off game, not the best of three, then you knock that off in half an hour and then sit around and, and have a few beers and talk. Um, it's a good little thing for that too. So, all right. Um, so before we wrap this episode up, Joyce, uh, what's going on at the moment? as far as hobby scenarios, hobby events go? Look, realistically, I think um, if we just want to replay the end of the last episode or maybe the one before that, no. Um, there's a few few different events going on, but um, all stuff that I think we've said before. Uh, so the Hobby Homies are running their terrain tournament at the moment. Um, that's going to kick through till the end of November off from memory. Um, and that is literally a case of make some terrain, paint it up, make it look cool, throw some pics in. Um, they will judge that based on a very, uh, specific set of criteria that I haven't bothered to look at. Um, so that's one. The sprue challenge is still going out through the dice, which is, you know, a make, make a thing include sprue. Um, as one of the key components in that. Uh, and again, kind of it judged on cool factor or probably a peer vote. I should, again, look at these things, but all the info for that one is over on the Throw the Dice uh, Facebook page. They've got an event going. Um, Warhammer Geelong have just finished their uh, Psyche slash Wizard painting competition um so the entries for that have been up on the the warhammer geelong facebook page and there's some super cool stuff to to go have again and see what people have entered um i think voting is maybe shut um we'll say it is 
that's fine. I voted. Yeah. Even so, just just have a look at some of the models that these guys have been doing because some very pretty stuff in there. Super cool stuff. And I think the realistically the next thing for um, Warhammer is Armies on Parade, which is a bigger uh, not not a local school thing. It's a it's a bigger event. They're doing it online this year because well that's all we can ever do, um, and that's kind of a you know paint an army, display it up, throw it on a board. And if you check out armies on parade every year, it's it's well worth a a look because you see some awesome hobby projects from all over the world. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely one to follow. Um, and there might be one other one. Um, is there, shit, is there another? I don't think so. I think if it was important, we would have remembered it. Yeah, surely. Um, oh, oh, aren't we doing something? Oh, fuck, we are too. Oh. Um, sure. So the Thoughtless Casual Gaming, I totally remember the name of this podcast. Um, hobby Challenge, it's not a competition, guys. Um, but is in full swing. So it's now October. People have pledged. They have promised um, to complete some hobby stuff. Some jerks have already finished. Um, <laughs> I have not. So for the rest of the month, as I said, everyone involved will be feverishly uh, hobbying away to get some stuff done. Um, we'll get some, uh, you know, pics of everything that gets completed. Um and then we will judge it based on whatever the fuck we want. Um, it will be effort-based. It will be cool factor-based. It will be, you know, merit-based, but not necessarily technical skill-based. Um, there might be a bit of rule of cool in there as well. That is how I choose to live my life. Um so we've got some prizes for that. Um, there is a whole bunch of hobby stuff um, between brushes and wet palettes and hobby knives and stuff. There is some uh, paints coming and a whole selection of different paints from different ranges because we don't like choosing one. Um, and Mark at uh, Fresh 3D Prints has kindly donated a a couple of amazing looking uh 3d printed models one of totally not fulgrim and <laughs> one of uh you know medieval chaos style warrior um but they're smooth i i've got them on my hand i'm trying not to paint them um so somebody needs to take these off my hands yeah. soon so, yeah, Mark's based out of Geelong, does some amazing 3D printing. So if you need anything done, by all means, hit him up, give him, shoot him through a message. Uh, check out his Etsy shop. It's uh, Fresh Prints 3D Terrain on there. Um, we've got a couple of links in, in the comments. But I will say, look, you know, as far as our little shindig goes, um, the Hobby Homies guys decided not to call it not a competition. Uh, so let's call it a shindig. Um, yeah, look, the pictures that are coming through, the, the effort that's coming through from, from all of you guys has been really appreciated. We love seeing it all. Um, as we have been speaking tonight, Joel's just put another picture of a bus down. Um, and just look, we just love the involvement. We love the, the effort that you guys are going to, and it's really all about encouraging a bit of hobby, 
uh, amongst ourselves and in everybody else and just um, you know, the more hobby, the better. And it's just look, the amount of different stuff that people are doing. And I, I kind of really love that we did a uh, completely sort of no holds barred, anything goes style event because I'm just seeing, you know, so many different um, games, models, you know, conversions, uh, assembly, painting, all kinds of stuff. Um, and it's it's really motivating, motivating and humbling. So appreciate it for everyone who's jumped in, jumped on board. Um, keep going. You know, there's still time. And keep hitting us up with those picks because we love seeing them. Yeah. What he said. Yay, what me said. Um, with that, I think we'll wrap it up. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sticking with us if you have. Thanks, Mum. If you haven't, screw you guys. <laughs> Laters. Catch you all.